there's a portion of this work that is me doing work that I need to do. Like that is one of my practices, the writing itself. One of the ways I'll really like jam myself up about getting an issue out is that I'll be like, I don't know who's reading this and I don't have a defined customer. And that's my marketing side, right? But I also think that people don't always want that. You know, they don't want to be defined. They want to see work from another mind that's reckoning and grappling with all the stuff that we're all grappling with. So I try to bring it back to, you sign up for the newsletter, you're signing up for whatever comes out. This is Creator Habits, the show that looks at how creators build their audiences one day, one follower, and one habit at a time. I'm Alina, your host, a startup founder turned content creator and indie maker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Creator Habits. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Campbell, the writer of the newsletter Tiny Revolutions, which is an email newsletter about becoming who you are. It's rooted in her practice of Zen Buddhism, and she describes it as an exploration of how to be more awake, alive, and connected to your life. Her writing has appeared in publications like Every, Barrel House, The Oxford American, The Hairpin, The Rumpus, and Salon.com. In this episode, we talk about using writing as part of your mental health practices, creative bravery, and cultivating a writing community. Thanks for coming on Creator Habits, Sarah. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. So I, I kind of wanted to just start by having you Talk a little bit about what led to your newsletter and how you started and a little bit about Tiny Revolutions more generally. Yeah, sure. So Tiny Revolutions is a project I started in 2018. At the time, I was folding up a startup that had kind of uh, crashed, not even crashed, but just never really made it totally off the ground. And I was really sad about it. And I had a lot of creative energy that I needed to funnel into something else. And so it went into this newsletter and kind of the background for me is that I, my, by trade, I was a corporate communications and PR person. And I did that in the corporate world. And I also did that for many years in the startup world. And so I had a history of writing on behalf of clients and I'd even started writing a lot of my own work and, you know, a personal essay project and stuff. But when I'd done the sound, the startup, I'd really made that my creative practice. And so when it left, it was like there was a huge vacuum and I was like, all right, I got to get back to writing. But I was really fortunate. I got in very early at Substack. The platform was very early then, but it just made it so easy to have your own list and produce a decent looking like a, you know, I think it's a pretty nice streamlined design. And so I just started writing it. You know, the other backdrop for it is that I also had a history of depression. And so I was really sad when I, when my startup folded and I just was like between that and needing an outlet, I just started to write about my experiences with dealing with depression. And part of it too was that I started right after there was a week period when Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade both committed suicide. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like this is such a thing that people don't talk about. Or if they do, it doesn't feel very honest and it doesn't feel very personal. And I really wanted as a reader, I really wish there were more voices that were talking about it in a way that I could identify with. So 
I just was like, you know what, I'll share my story. And that's kind of the genesis of the project. It was almost like I was propelled to do it. That resonates with me so much just because I started a podcast right as my startup was going under. And I thought of it as, honestly, one of many therapeutic practices I was undertaking. But, you know, I think as you were talking about starting this in the wake of Anthony Bourdain's suicide and and Kate Spade, etc. One thing that I read in one of your very early issues and just highlighted how brave it was to start this is you have this wonderful quote, which is, I'm scared as I write this, scared I won't write regularly, scared of being seen, scared of not being seen, scared I'll glaze over hard truths, scared I'll chicken out. And I, I think it's such a nice encapsulation of just what it means to be so vulnerable on the page. Could you talk a little bit more about what it took to publish that first post? Yeah, you know, I, I'm i really glad that you read that early issue. I sort of forgotten about that. It's nice to hear that. I still feel that way. I mean, I'm almost four years in and it's still, that's not, that doesn't go away. And I think that part of, that's part of the message, right? And it was part of Part of one of the reasons I started writing it is that I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not in my early twenties. I'm in my mid forties and I have not, I've been around lots of different creative projects. I've had my own. I've seen lots of other creators. I've seen lots of entrepreneurs and people doing various things that require just a lot of bravery. And I think for me, it became like, these things don't go away. You just do them anyway. And the vulnerability is ultimately what helps people connect to you because you're, you know, we've all read Brene Brown at this point, but you're telling truths. But, you know, it's a lot harder to do, like, it's a lot harder to put that in practice than to know it, you know, from reading a book or whatever. But I, I will say that I think the way that I was able to get this project off the ground is that I was just like, what's the point in not doing it? You know, it, it really became, and for me, it also became a real act of service in a way, service for myself. I mean, there's definitely selfish, you know, there's definitely a selfish aspect to this endeavor, but I also was like, other people are doing, are going through this. And that, you know, that's why the Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain thing was so impactful is that I was like, these are creative geniuses. And people that wrestle with really difficult and dark aspects of their life and personality. And so, you know, but like we, I, you know, it was just like, but we're all pretending like this isn't happening on some level. And so I was just, I think it was exasperation where it was like, this has to end. We have to have more of a conversation about it. You know, there's, I, I could talk about the subject for hours, but like another thing that was really influential for me getting started was Ira Glass's talk about the taste gap. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's such a great point. <clears throat> I remind myself of it all the time. If you, if you haven't listened to that, heard that, just Google it or find it on YouTube. But it's just his point is that people that make creative work, it takes a long time to get really good at it. And he, it's hilarious because if you listen to the whole thing, he plays some stuff that he made, like a radio segment he produced like 10 years into his career and it was kind of still a train wreck. And, um, you know, the point is just like, if you want to make good work, it's because you have good taste and you you see things that you admire. But really part of the challenge is just getting okay and comfortable with the fact that, you know, you're always learning, getting better, and it's never going to be, you know, it, it takes a while to, to develop mastery and to have patience with yourself, um, you know, throughout the process. 
Absolutely. And yeah, that is a talk that I think is is really inspiring for myself, even before I was a founder and did startup stuff, I was in design and I was like, oh God, the gap between what I know I <laughs> I like and want to see and what I can do, there's still a wide chasm basically. Yeah. It's like that, you know, it's like the narrative that, you know, you come out and it's just like talented people are talented people. That's true. They are talented, but more than that is they have cultivated a mindset that allows them to keep going. And that, you know, this is when we talk about practice, whatever your various practices that you do. Mine are, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about mine, but a lot of it is just keeping myself in that space of um, it's okay to do this and, it, you know, you can do this. Yeah, I mean, you write a lot about practices and, you know, over the course of the newsletter, you've also, you know, gotten even deeper into things like Zen and, can you talk a little bit about what are the practices that help you maintain that mindset and some of the practices that just help you be a writer in general? Yeah, I mean, I will say that I came to the table and this is through probably some combination of personality and conditioning, but with a very critical, self-critical disposition, you know, um, just looking back at my life, a lot of it was me kind of torpedoing myself and not allowing myself to do the thing of being messy. And, you know, I think a lot of us struggle with just the trying to achieve perfection. And and so for me, why practice is so important is just that you have to keep yourself fresh and like cut away those weeds that get in the way and the self-criticisms you have. But Really, I've found that before even meditation, just exercise and walks, movement, any type of movement. If you're in a really terrible mood, like take a walk, you know, turn on some music, do a dance, like whatever you can to just get in your body and out of your head. Um, I'm also just like a classic overthinker. So that's a huge one. I pretty much I have a dog. I recommend a dog if you can. Um, or some other, or some borrowing someone else's dog, but walking the dog for, you know, half an hour, hour a day is sort of a game changer. So I would say that any type of movement, yoga is amazing. Any, anything that you're doing in your body, um, is great. And to do that really, I mean, really definitely you have to do it every day. Um, I don't know. You can take some days off. I get it. I do sometimes, but you know, it keeping that going is super helpful. Another way I sort of mentally clear the weeds is Zen practice. So that's just really sitting meditation. And there's a, we practice a style called um, Zazen, where you basically just sit in on a cushion and you look at the wall and you kind of let your, you know, you just try and stay present with whatever's going on. You're not trying to block out reality, but it's just kind of seeing everything, the good, bad, and the ugly that goes through your head. And that is a really helpful practice that helps you cultivate what a very famous Zen teacher referred to as beginner's mind, where you're just always coming back to the present and, you know, it's uh, it's trying to see things as they are instead of as you wish they would be. And then what else? I don't know. I, I'm such a reader. My coping mechanism as a kid was reading, and this is why I write, obviously, but reading things that are constructive and helpful to you, you know, a voice that you love, whether it's a newsletter or an author or a children's book or a podcast, whatever, but just having the comfort of people that are going through similar things, I think is, is hugely helpful. And Zen is helpful for that too, because you practice in community. So you know that, you know, you sort of know that other people are going on. The other thing I'll say is, um, 
I do really think that if you are making any sort of creative work, it's really helpful to be in community with other people that are doing the same thing because you can identify with each other. You can get tips from each other. You can, you know, there's a little bit of healthy competition, I think, that goes on too, or it's like, well, they're doing it. I can do it too. And I I don't think that's a bad, I don't view that as a bad thing. I view that as a positive because it, it does, it is helpful to get pushed to make better work or to be more consistent. You know, as long as you don't let it get to like a crazy comparison game, which is not healthy. Absolutely. Well, I want to touch on two things that you mentioned. The first is you have all of these practices for managing, I guess, a combination of inspiration and self-criticism and and all of the things that go on in in all of our overthinking minds. Um, But I'm curious... Could you talk a little more about your practices around writing in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I was always kind of a journaler, even as a kid. And when blogs came out, um, or I started writing, you know, I started blogs and I've had a couple. My newsletter is basically a blog. It just gets emailed to people. But I didn't realize for many years that I was writing essays. Um, and so once I once it sort of like, I remember reading a David Sedaris essay in The New Yorker. And it sort of clicked and I was like, oh, wait, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, I didn't even know this really genre was a thing because people talk mostly about fiction or, you know, journalistic narrative nonfiction, which is not really what I was doing, although I have kind of gone down that road at at different points. But um, once I did that, I started taking different craft courses. So I took lots of workshops once I got serious about writing. And so all through my 30s, I took lots of classes, lots of workshops, um, they were in person, but you can find them on, you can find tons of them online now. I mean, I think ideally you do both, but, um, so that helped me learn a little, learn a lot more about the craft of writing, which was really helpful. And then there's a lot, there's a joke about writers that it's like a writer is someone that goes to great lengths to secure their time for writing and then just squanders it endlessly. It's more succinct than that. It's better, but it's something like that. I have set up my life to be able to write in a lot of ways. I've been very selfish about my time. There was one time that was a really great period of my life when I generated a lot of material where I had a job that was like a half-time job. It had started as a full-time like agency job and I basically negotiated so that I would kind of be available in the morning, but not really. And then I would come in in the afternoon and do everything. And it worked It worked pretty well, but I would, the this was like the ideal world for writing. I'm still trying to find a way back to this, but it was like, I would wake up, I would drink lots of coffee and I would have like two hours of writing and reading time. And then I would go for a run. And in that practice, things that I, you know, problems that I would come up against in the writing would get solved in the running, you know, or the walking or whatever it is, because movement does help with your thinking, obviously. So that was the perfect world. Now what I do mostly is I have a bunch of different ways to capture ideas that I have. So I have notes apps on my, the notes app on my phone, the Evernote app on my phone. I'm not the most like systematic person, but I just do try to catch whatever, if I have an inspiring thought or like an idea, I do try and catch that in a note or write it down. And then I have like, I do have a running list of topics that I'd like to cover in the newsletter, but it's funny because I don't often get to them. Like I, I do fine with writing and I, I always love hearing about how other people approach this, but if I don't get on a topic while it's hot in my mind and juicy, then it kind of, I, it's hard for me to come back to it. So it's, it's like, there's a little bit of a window. So I don't have like a rigid, you know, I write every day, although I go on and off with morning pages 
And so I've been doing morning pages this year, which has been great. And I'll probably fall off those at some point and then I'll come back. But that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. I mean, and for those of you don't that don't know, morning pages is this idea from the artist's way of just kind of getting out three or so pages of just getting things out of your head before you're actually able to to write or do other things. If if that sounds like a good summary, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's just it's basically it's Julia Cameron. You should look her up. She just did an interview with the New Yorker that was great actually. But she just says, you know, just clear your mind and write stream of conscious for you know, 30 minutes before you do your day. And a lot of it is just like, it's like exercising demons. You might get an idea out of it, but the idea is there's just some kind of um, way that you're flexing that muscle and unblocking yourself um, and that frees you up a little bit. So I just want to touch on two things you said. The first is that you're kind of constantly looking at things and you do have a section of your newsletter that's, I even hesitate to call it curation. It's just... It's like organic feeling portions of your newsletter with everything from poems to tweets to playlists. And is there a way that you put that together? Yeah, that's funny that you say that about the curation because I'm not really sure how to think about it either. It is kind of a curation in in that it's a curation of things that belong in my specific newsletter, but it's not like mental health. It's really just kind of things that inspire me. So it could be anything from like a really absurd tweet to you know, holy cow, this is a really profound talk or podcast talk that I listen to. I mean, I'm I'm such a voracious consumer of everything. You know, like I said, I was a really big reader as a kid. I still am. And now we have the internet and there's all the content all the time. So I consume a lot. I would say that for me, a lot of it that makes it in is because I find it surprising or I find it, um, just slightly off the beaten path. Like I, there's always a little something where I'm like, oh, there's something a little bit weird or I haven't thought of that. And it makes it in because it in some way lights me up in a way that I think is notable because there's so you know, there's so much, you know, content online that's really practical and pragmatic and that's great. Like we need it. You know, I have a tab open on my browser right now. That's like how to, how to feel better if you're having quarantine blues or whatever. And so that kind of content is great. It's not typically what I share. I do occasionally, but to me, it's more of the stuff that's kind of like the ineffable. Like what, what are we not thinking of? What's not obvious? I think that there is so much content and also so many newsletters out there that are very tactical and some of their goals are, you know, absolute growth and you know they're building in public in terms of how you do that and it makes perfect sense um you know how to find their audience their audience is extremely defined and i think that there's another kind of category of these i don't even know how i would call them but these exploratory newsletters and it seems like their goals are a little bit different you know you yourself you have a marketing background so you you know i'm sure you know all about growth but i'm really curious like what do you think of as your measures of success and what you're trying to achieve with Tiny Revolutions and where do you place that? That's a great question. I, I ask myself this a lot and I've definitely gone through phases where I'm like, I need to grow my subscriber base or whatever. But you know, now I've been doing it for a few years and there's a portion of this work that is me doing 
work that I need to do. Like that is one of my practices, the writing itself, in case that's not clear. So it's sort of like, oh, we're doing this regardless, right? I also come at it from a place of, it definitely feels like an exploration. You know, that's one thing that's really hard is one of the ways I'll really like jam myself up about getting an issue out is that I'll be like, I don't know who's reading this and I don't have a defined customer. And that's my marketing side, right? But I also think that people don't always want that. You know, they don't want to be defined. They want to see work from another mind that's reckoning and grappling with all the stuff that we're all grappling with. And so I try to bring it back to, this is just like, you know, it's like you sign up for the newsletter, you're signing up for whatever comes out. I'm not promising you anything. You know, I, what I am promising you is just, we're going through this journey together whatever this is. Um, I do mean that in kind of a mystical sense, but I think that it's hard for me because I've studied writing as a craft and anyone that's studied the craft of writing is like, don't get into writing because you want to make a million dollars or whatever. Uh, you might, you might get lucky. You could become, you know, a Kate Spade or an Anthony Bourdain or David Foster Wallace or whatever. But, you know, most of it is just about, you need to get this out and you have something to say. So I would say, just if you're thinking about starting this, what you can bring to your project is you. You know, you are the only person that could do. I want Tiny Revolutions. This is definitely a goal. It, it needs to be something that only I could do. And I, in the what I find that I love in other projects is that it feels very, very specific, you know, and it feels very much like, I don't want, you know, it's like personally, I don't want to read another piece of sort of commodity content. I can, I can find it useful, but if I want to follow along over the way, you know, of a series of podcasts or novels or whatever it is, it's that there's a very particular sensibility that I'm interested in following. So I'd like to see more people kind of just get weird, you know, and, and follow their muse. You talked also about the importance of community as you're doing things like writing And for those listeners who are like, yeah, I want to find that community of weird exploratory newsletters, where would you recommend that people go? Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, Substack, I will say, Substack is getting a lot better at putting content out that helps people find their neat, you know, just grow their newsletter and figure out what, you know, how to grow themselves as a writer. There's a lot more, there's a lot of info on distribution, but there's also more and more on just how people find their voice and how people, um, get it done. So I would say you, if you join, if you're on Substack, you can, and you could probably do it anyway. Um, just join their newsletter. They've got program called grow. That's pretty interesting. I also am part of a writing, um, a writing collective called foster, um, you can go to foster.co and take a look at that. But that the idea there is that we are a community of writers who want to help each other get better and collaborate. Um, and that's really cool. And then, you know, the other way that the main way that I found community early on was just taking classes, you know, like I took a lot of classes. I have a, I had a group of writers um, that I still talk to all the time that we met in real life for, you know, once a week for years. And so, I think anything where you are um, coming up against other writers is a good start. So you could also, there's a really wonderful book called um, Make Your Art No Matter What by Beth Pickens. And she talks about the importance of finding creative community. But her suggestion is volunteer somewhere. 
where it's part of the genre that you're, whatever medium you're creating in, whether it's like you volunteer at an art museum or, you know, for a literary festival or for some other type of, um, you know, nonprofit project that's in your medium, that's a good place to start as well. I love that. I just want to ask, like, how can people support what you're doing? How can people follow you? Are there any other things that you think people should definitely know about, you know, your own practice? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, you can go, you can find the newsletter at tinyrevolutions.co or tinyrevolutions.substack.com. They both go there. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Jane Donuts, J-A-N-E-D-O-N-U-T-S. That's like, that's funny because that's a vestige from, that's an old pseudonym I used to use when I had an old blog. So I probably should update that. Yeah, those would be the main ways. But yeah, sign up for the newsletter. If you hate it, you can always unsubscribe. It's honestly one of my favorite newsletters. (laughs) So I, I imagine that there will be a lot of people who are really excited to discover it. Oh, thank you. It's been, I really do love it. And I really... I, one of the things I love most about it is just the interactions with people that read it. I found with almost every issue that someone writes back and just says, thank you, this is what I needed to hear, or I've never seen this articulated like this or whatever. So that's, that's what I, you know, that's my goal. That's my, that, if we want to talk about metrics and measurement, that is what my measurement is. Like, does it, is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it in some way meaningful for the people that get it? Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for chatting today. I really, really appreciate all of your time and just, yeah, just your willingness to to publish vulnerable things on the internet every <laughs> few weeks. Thank you so much, Alina. I really loved it. And, you know, you, anyone on here, you can also shoot me an email, sarah at tinyrevolutions.co. Or if you subscribe, you can reply, whatever is easier. But I'm around. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Creator Habits. This show was edited and produced by me, Alina Seri, with music by Luke Tyler of Milo Bleep. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review our show. It would mean the world.